0: And uh, it's also come up a lot just with me, you know, privately and talking, interacting with people. Somehow that word showed up in my vocabulary, and I'm not really quite sure how. I guess maybe from reading some, from some books, um, some articles, I don't know. But for whatever reason, that particular word has stuck out. Maybe it's from the men's group. or doing a study called Courageous uh, on Saturday mornings. Um, which, the, by the way, the women's uh, group will start meeting like in March. And so I'll keep you posted on that. I didn't do any of the announcements. Um, but... The women will start, like, in March. And so that would be one Saturday a month early. Dad can stay at home with the kids, you know, and then the, and then the women can go. Um, but the word courage, I don't know, it's been stuck in on I don't know really if it's part of your vocabulary. And I don't know how many people you would say is courageous. I don't know if you would use the word courageous about yourself. Um, I guess a good synonym, you know, for courage would be brave, if you would consider yourself brave or not. And... With me realizing that I've used that word and terminology a lot, that means a lot of different things to a lot of people, depending on where people are at. So for some people, it was really brave and really courageous for them to get out of bed this morning. Because maybe for some people, somewhere, they're just hating life right now. And they're actually thinking about maybe taking their own lives. So it's actually courageous for them just to get up, maybe make a phone call to someone, you know, go out and just go do something. You know, for other people, a courageous step might be just going out and initiating conversation with somebody else because they just uh, don't feel, uh, you know, socially comfortable, you know, with that. They don't feel comfortable just, you know, taking the initial step and just creating conversation. But that was brave and that was courageous. Maybe a lot of people might not say that, but for them, you know, it was. I did kind of a brave thing this morning. Um... I changed Jaron's diaper. That wasn't the brave part. But uh, I changed his diaper without giving him something to play with. You see, because when I change his diaper and he's got a number two in there, he likes to throw his hands down there. And uh, that can be very bad. It can be very bad. And so I put him on the change of table and he had number two. And I, man, I could smell it. And I didn't give him something to play with and he didn't go down there so whether that's brave or stupid it's in the eye of the beholder but nonetheless I like to pat myself on the black so I go bravery on that one but you know I was looking online and just saying you know like where where are people's focuses like what do they consider to be brave what do they consider to be courageous because people have different ideas depending on the type of people that they are so I was curious. I was like, you know, I want to go online. I want to see what people think. Like, I'm sure people you know, have these blogs and there's websites. Or there's articles. Or there's things about, I thought such and such was brave. Or I really stepped out for the first time in this particular area and did this. And that was really brave for me. Or this was really courageous for me. And I, I was just curious to kind of see where people are at. Um, because I think it's beneficial and helpful for me to get like, a good understanding you know, of where people are coming from. And so my idea of courage and bravery is not exactly the same as somebody else's. And that doesn't make it right or wrong. So, I want to be open to it. So, a couple things that I noticed. So, one article. Most courageous or brave thing someone has done. So, that's kind of like what this falls under. So, this one person said, I was deathly afraid of deep water. And at 45 years old, they taught themselves how to swim. For them, that was like really courageous, you know, really brave. They stepped out, they did it, really afraid of deep water. They went for it. Not sure what the catalyst was for that, that started that, but... That's what happened. Another person says, uh, standing between a drunk man and a woman, so that the man could not hit the woman. And this guy says he was terrified to take a punch. And he's not a tough guy at all. He said, but I was ready to take one, just in case it came to that. And he said, he thought that his sort of blank stare that he had on his face, and a relatively big stature that he had, He said he thinks that kind of went out. So he did not end up getting punched. But he's ready to do it. And he felt uncomfortable. And he saw that maybe, you know, she was going to be taken advantage of. So he stepped in. Maybe it wasn't part of, you know, maybe his personality. It didn't come easily for him. Maybe where other guys. It is part. And they don't just want to jump in and just start fighting because they like to fight. Another person says they went on vacation alone because they're single. They went on vacation alone. And they went to New York City and they took cabs and subways and figured it out all by themselves and got around the city. Another brave, courageous thing. This is where people are coming from. Becoming a mother. There's a really long article on this, uh, on this woman who was uh, in the military and uh, just her decision-making process about just becoming a mother. Being like, she had a lot of fears and a lot of doubts within herself if she could do it, what kind of mother she would be. Her uh, mother wasn't really that great of a model, and so it was really brave and courageous for her to step up. She was married for her to step up and say, yeah, you know, I, I think I'm going to try and do this. You know, that, that took a lot. That's brave. That's courageous. Um, for another person I read, um, she became a widow, and it says waking up in the morning after losing her husband and still trying to be strong for the family. You know, brave and Courageous. One from a, a kid, from a high schooler, standing up to a bully who was bullying a friend in front of a locker. He said he's not really a tough guy, but he saw that you know his friend was, you know, getting bullied and getting made fun of, and he you know he went out, stuck up for the kid. This one I thought was very interesting. Letting go of being controlled of what I think others think about me. Some people are dominated by what. I am thinking, you are thinking about me. Because there's a strong chance that you're not at all thinking what I'm thinking. Because my thinking might be really tainted and really might not be accurate at all. And so then if I project onto other people, you know, I've created this sort of false sense and false perception of what's you know, really going on. Some people are trapped by that. There was another one which I thought was very interesting. I said, you know what? Wow, this, is, uh, this one probably happens a lot. Uh, there was this woman. She describes herself as being chubby or bigger. And she said it was very brave and courageous for her to get into her swimsuit and get into a pool where there was a lot of other attractive guys around. That was a big step for her. You know, because she was not that comfortable with the way she looked and how she felt about herself. And so for her just to get into her swimsuit and get into water, that was a big step for that day. That was probably a victory for her that day. You know, that's good. So as I look at some of these things, I notice that many people are controlled by their own thoughts, thoughts of others, their appearance, a fear of failure, just the unknown. And somehow, us as Christians, and you throw faith into the mix, you throw God into the mix, us as Christians. We're supposed to believe that with God, all things are possible. That I can do anything, that I can go anywhere. Whatever God puts before me, He'll equip me to like go out and conquer and do that. But if some people you know, just aren't that courageous and it's you know, a big deal for them just to maybe wake up in the morning, it's really hard to think and believe in the God that with God all things are possible. It just doesn't come naturally to them. So here's a question I was thinking about. And I think I have the question up here too. How much of your experience determines the ability of what you believe God can do, has done, or will do? How much of your experience determines the ability of what you believe God can do, has done, or will do? So here's why I asked the question. So we're reading through the Bible. And we're reading about Jesus And we are reading some pretty extraordinary things. I mean, he did five loaves and two fish last week with basketfuls of leftovers, feeding thousands. We're going to read this morning, he's walking on water. We read through the book of Acts before about people just touching a handkerchief from Paul and like getting healed. These are pretty radical stories. Some people have these experiences and they might have one or two you know in their lifetime they can see and refer back to it and say man you know I saw this particular thing or I had this particular thing happen to me for a lot of people they might not have had those experiences or even seen them firsthand. and so what happens is maybe without knowing it or maybe with knowing it also they put a limit on God based on their experience so I haven't really seen it done I haven't really experienced it I don't know if it really happens. And so, again, if we're called to like, be courageous and ask God for the impossible and bring our five loaves and two fish to Him and just ask Him to do whatever He's going to do with it, some of us might be limited to think that, oh man, I've never really seen or experienced anything, so it's not going to make much of a big difference anyway. So I think that starting point is like a big deal. That's a really important question to ask. And I think for some people, you know, the honest answer might be like, yeah, you know what? I have a hard time believing half of that stuff because I haven't really seen it or anything. And I would say, that's okay. To think that. And I would also say, take it a step further and put it before God and say, God, you know, I do have a hard time believing some of this stuff. And I need you to show me that you really are who you say you are. And I think that's a healthy way to deal with that and the right way to deal with that. And then there's some people that do not fall into that that say, you know what? My experience is just my experience. There's billions with the B other people on the planet with other lives doing other things and I'm okay with maybe not seeing a whole lot of it but I'm still going to believe them for it. I think that's rare though. I think that's rare. That's a large amount of faith. Some people would say it's kind of blind faith and that's not real smart. So, courage is a big part of like what's going on in the middle of these stories. Where many times people have reached the end of themselves And then now they can kind of take a look at God So let's take a look Matthew 14 So last time we talked about Five loaves and two fish like we said before And it started off With Jesus getting like Mixed news, mixed information He just had his cousin Die And then he was so proud and happy Because he had like his group His apostles come back with all this great information And joy they're like, you know, you prayed for us, Jesus. We went out, and we actually were doing the things that you were doing. It's amazing. And so they came back with all these stories. They're excited. But then, like I said, Jesus also had this other story of his cousin John the Baptist. Dying. And so he has these mixed emotions. And, you know, you've got to expect he probably wants to get away. But then it says that we read last time, the multitudes of the crowds saw that Jesus and the apostles were trying to like, get away to themselves. They noticed, they saw them get into a boat. And so the crowds ran around the lake caught them on the other side you know and they're just right there at Jesus and uh, Jesus looked up he said he saw the crowds and it said that he was filled with compassion he was just moved by just all these people and it said that he just stayed with them and that he just did miracles and he healed them and he stayed with them despite the fact of his own emotions of what's going on within him And then we talked about last time that as it was getting late and as he's doing that his disciples say okay listen we gotta send these people home we don't have any food for them. And Jesus says well you know what why don't you guys feed them? And then we talked about how Jesus sometimes asks these questions that he already knows the answer to but he's just getting us to understand of what he's capable of doing. And we said last time that sometimes he asks those questions because he wants us to think of him in different ways. To stretch us a little bit. And maybe to expect different things from them. And so, uh, they don't have anything. So they actually grab the kid next to them that has the five loaves and two fish. Because they don't have anything. So they grab him and they say, Hey listen, this kid has five loaves and two fish. You know, from there he feeds everyone. And so, I don't know, maybe you had a chance this past week, because we left it last week as like, or the week before that. Maybe you'll have a chance to bring your... Into some situation and see what happens, and so maybe you had a chance this past week to do that. I can tell you that in the prayer meeting, like last week, for a few people, it's very difficult for them, like to pray aloud, like in a public setting, you know, with a lot of people, for whatever reason. And uh, there is some courage taken by them, you know, praying and just crying out to God just bringing whatever little bit they had. Which, honestly, in their case, was just despair. Just crying out, God. You know, and bringing that. And that was perfectly it. Like, that's exactly what needed to happen and what God wanted to have brought forth. Not the perfect word prayer. Just something coming from the depths of somebody's heart. And that's what mattered. So hopefully, you had a chance to offer maybe your five loaves and two fish maybe somewhere throughout the week with a friend, with a neighbor, I don't know, in some capacity. And so what happens is, after this whole five loaves and two fish things happen, we pick up in verse 22. It says, Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side, while he dismissed the crowd. It's very interesting. This is really different now. It says, He got into the boat, made disciples get in the boat, and then now he's telling the crowds to go away. When last time, the crowds came up to him, and he was like, hey, listen. He was filled with compassion, and he stayed with them, and he did miracles among them. This is different. Now he's telling them to go away. Why is he doing that? It's a good question. The answer is also in John chapter 6. So this story is in Mark, and it's also in John. It's in Mark 6, and it's in John 6. So if you take a look at John 6 here. It says, after the people. So this is after the five loaves and two fish thing. After the people saw the signs Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus said, Don't call me surely. No, I didn't. Sorry. I, didn't. I know, I know, I know. Surely he's got to live with it. You know what I mean? It's just... It's... <laughs> and my son has no prayer. So. so, it says, Surely, this is the prophet who's to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force. There it is. They intended to come, and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. And if we look right here, verse 23, right after that one, after he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. So in this particular instance, he knew... This is time i got to get away from the crowds. Well, how did he know that? Because he knew that the crowds, that the multitude, were trying to bring in by force a plan of God that was supposed to happen, but not yet at that time. So Jesus is called to be king. He is called to reign. And they're like, hey listen, we're going to make you king right now. And he's like, well, Yeah. I'm going to do that and actually I am but now is not the time so he knew in his head that you know right now is not the time he had that discernment and I think that's something like we always got to be praying about giving us wisdom and discernment because Jesus was called you know to really be king of the Jews you know to die for them although the king Jesus is talking about is really being you know king conqueror of sin. He had to take care of that first before he comes and he reigns truly as king. And, but they didn't know that part. So there's always a part that maybe some other people make sense of what they're saying and logically it maybe kind of fits. But there may be another side usually that has to be related to God that you know they just don't know about not aware of. And that could certainly happen to us where it's like, oh yeah, this makes sense. That seems like the right move to make or a right thing to do. And if maybe we just push in that direction without giving any consideration maybe at all to what God might say, we might step into something that we're supposed to be stepping into but at the wrong time. And if it's the wrong thing at the wrong time, it's the wrong thing. We want to step into things at the right time with the right discernment. So Jesus had it. So we're going to take a look at three observations with what happens with this whole Jesus walking on the water thing. Three observations. Three observations. So here's the first one. the secret to Jesus' ministry and power, and what that is. So we have it right up here It so says the secret to Jesus' ministry and power That's the first observation verse twenty three says after he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. He did this quite often. This was like a pattern of behavior. So many times in Christian circles people say You know, to be a Christian, you want to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, a personal relationship. And, um, you know, you want to ask Him into your heart. And, you know, you want to live out that personal relationship with Christ. (coughs) Which I would certainly agree with. You know, but that phrase, personal relationship, is not anywhere in the Bible. Not found anywhere. So where does that idea come from? Well... It comes from really the Bible as a whole. There's like a bunch of stuff in there that kind of leads people to that conclusion. One of them being anybody ever read the book of Psalms? All right? The book of Psalms, stuff that's in there? All right, in that book of Psalms, you read through it, longest book in the Bible, a lot of good stuff in there. But the book of Psalms is really about, you know, a few people, David being the, the kind of the main person there, of just crying out to God with whatever emotions are going on on the inside. God, I am frustrated. God, I pray that you would destroy them, destroy their family, destroy their kids. God, bless me. Keep me in the middle of what you have for me. You know, not all of what he's praying, what he's saying is quote-unquote doctrinally correct. Because Jesus said pray for your enemies. You know, and not that they would be destroyed. But you know, but pray for them in the right way and by that you'll be heaping uh, burning coals on their head. And that's what we're called to do. But sometimes in the moment, you just cry out to God with what you got. And sometimes that's not Bible perfect or doctrinally perfect. And that's totally okay. And that's the right thing that we should be doing. Crying out to him and just giving it up to him. You don't usually do that type of thing without having a relationship with someone. That happens within a relationship. Like you share emotions and you go to them and you run to them. Another thing about a relationship is that like, you have one-on-one time together with someone. So that's like another you know, reason and place why this idea of relationship is coming from. And Jesus kind of set the model for us. We read it here in verse 23. Uh, we also have it in Mark. And we also have it in Luke here. It says, But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed... And in Luke 6, one of those days, Jesus went on a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. This is what he did. was like regular habits. And this was God himself coming down from heaven. And I, I think, you know, that probably helps that he was God coming from heaven and just had like human skin on. I mean, that helps. But if God from heaven had to come down with human skin on and being, you know, regular Prayer time, communication with his own father, geez, how much more does Jared need to do that? You know, just has to be regular, depending upon what's going on. So that I so that phrase, personal relationship, you know, might not be in the Bible, but that idea and that concept is there by crying out our emotions and by having that one-on-one time alone with him. And that's why the fast was so great. If you chose to do it. You know, you had that time where you just set it aside and said, okay, you know, during this fasting time, I'm just going to like, boom. It's got my 110% attention right now. In this fast, God is God. And now we're a week outside of the fast. I'm not sure how it's going with you, but I can notice within myself, you know, already tendencies to sort of go back maybe to areas and things. Um, I remember, you know, a couple of days after the fast, I'm like, Wow! I can eat right now, you know. During this time, you know, am I allowed to eat? You know, and um, but I can certainly notice it's already becoming easier to not like set aside that time. It's already becoming like a lot easier. To the fact, like this a point this week, I was just repenting. I was like, God, I, you know, I'm sorry, I'm not giving you the first fruits like I should have been, like I was before. Got to get back on track, like you know, I just got to get back on track to what's really important. And many times it is just like taking the initiative and just getting away by ourselves doing what we know God is moving us to do like with that nudge. But this was the secret to Jesus prayer time. I'd like to sit down with Michael Jordan and be like, okay, what was the secret to your success in the NBA as a basketball player? You know, he'd probably say well, not playing a student faculty game had something to do with it. But, uh, you know, he's going to say, you know, I lived in the weight room. A lot of his quotes, you know, say things like, you know, I wasn't afraid to fail. You know, you see guys like maybe Steven Spielberg, you know, you want to say, okay, what's the secret to your success? You know, how'd you get there? Steve Jobs, you know, Apple, you know, what's the secret to your success? John Maxwell, a good leadership guy, you know, what's the secret? How to become a good leader, you know? The secret to your success. And we spend good money. I got him on my podcast. I follow him on Twitter. You know, I want to soak in what these guys are saying. And what's part of, like, successful mentality? What's that mind look like? Where is it coming from? It's, I know the secret to Jesus' success. It was locked in one-on-one time with him and God to the point where he would just remove himself from everybody because he knew he had to do it. Anybody know what's in the secret sauce at McDonald's? You can find it. It's online. They got recipes for it. I saw that when I was looking up secret stuff. (laughs) I did. I thought it was just that was not interesting, but it's more uh, it's more in depth than that. Because the secrets of the successful could be great genetics. Could happen, I guess, for some people. Could be a great work ethic. Could be extreme competitiveness. Competitiveness. Maybe like a guy like Michael Jordan. But you know what? I don't think I'd want to play a game with that guy. Like, I don't think that. That wouldn't be a fun game time. He would just, you know, he'd be cutthroat. I don't think that would be fun. A great mind, a supportive family. These could all be secrets of the successful. The secret strength for the Christian. Is found in submitted solitude. The secret strength for the Christian is found in submitted solitude. And those that engage in that and actually try and do that, they can sense that, they could feel that, they could see that. I was looking up uh, some prayer surveys this past week, like, you know, what people pray for, how often they pray. I'm just curious, you know, what dominates, you know, prayer times about people. And for most of the studies, it's, it's prayer times of Christians, it's prayer times of Muslims, it's prayer times of Buddhists, it's all these uh, different faiths, terms used loosely. But what dominate a lot of prayer time, the largest percentage, with pretty much most studies, is that most people pray for their health. Most people spend a lot of their prayer time praying for their health. Then the next on their list is their families, and then usually strangers you know, are pretty far down the list. And I'm curious to see it wasn't in the studies, but when these people are praying for themselves, and they're praying for their families and maybe other people or their job or whatever, you know how they're praying and really what they're praying for. Because here's the question that like, we've got to ask ourselves: What is even really the point of prayer? like what is really so what is the deal I mean prayer is really you know for most people you close your eyes and you say some words and like what it's kind of like a pattern like that we've picked up we've learned but what really you close your eyes and you say some words and then for some a lot of people they feel better after so I guess it must be a good thing. I think it's worthwhile to think about prayer and the purpose of it. Because you could have your eyes closed, you could be sitting down, you could be standing up, you could be in the car, you could be on the phone. But again, what really is the point of prayer time? And so Jesus in his prayer time, like what was the point? Why would he have to get away? I mean, he's Jesus. He's doing pretty well for himself already. And he's probably going to be okay and do alright. He has like a lot of inside information from the heavens itself. I mean, what's he praying about? What's he praying for? Like what am I praying about? What am I praying for? You know, am I praying that I stay healthy? Like so I stay healthy? Am I praying that I get more money, so it just it's not such a squeeze. You don't know, like, what, what, am I, what am I praying about here? Like what's going on? So thinking about that, I think this is kind of where it's at right here, is in this quote, and we've, I've used it before. It says prayer is not a tool used to accomplish my agenda. Rather, it's a gift used to acknowledge everybody say acknowledge and surrender everybody say surrender to the one who has the perfect plan God just dropped that bomb on me like a few weeks ago it's like boom that's what prayer is and so if I'm going into it like with any other motivations I might just have God as my personal genie during my prayer time without even knowing it God I just really want this stuff and you want me to be happy so figure that out for me right But, if prayer is not a tool used to accomplish my agenda, but it's a gift used to acknowledge who God is and surrender to what He might have, then I think we're going about it the right way. That is prayer time. So it's pretty much useless for me to enter a prayer time just coming in with my laundry list and my agenda. Useless. Totally defeats the purpose. I'm not trying to have my kingdom come. I want God's kingdom to come. So then now the question is, once I know what prayer is about, do I actually want to pray now? That's the question. Because now, like we know and understand what might come with prayer, do I actually want to do that now? Knowing what it means. The answer is, of course we do. Because we're courageous. So that's prayer. That was the secret for Jesus' ministry. It's prayer time, man. He needed that time alone. And for whatever reason, prayer has to happen quite a bit. Um, Jesus encouraged us, you know, to pray regularly. Pray without ceasing. First 1 Thessalonians says, pray in everything. Before Jesus left to go um, into heaven, he said, make sure you pray regularly like, with one another. And He said, pray To hold back the forces of the evil one. Pray for protection for each other. So I'm not quite sure, you know, what really happens when we do pray in this sort of unseen, invisible world. But the recommendation from the CEO of prayer is like, hey, stay in it. Whether you're feeling the goosebumps or whether you're not. Whether you're feeling up or whether you're feeling down. Stay in it. And then the word says somehow it's powerful and effective and it availeth much just because we're praying. I think if a lot of people a few people just really bought into that 110% prayer time might be approached a lot differently. I know I struggle with really just gaining a hold on that. Totally. If I'm not really feeling it that day you know so, anyways, that was a secret to Jesus' ministry and power. That's before we even get to the walking on water part. So here's the second observation: storms are coming. Verse 24. <coughs> it says, but the boat, oh, it says, when evening came, he was there alone. Jesus, he was praying. But the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves, because the wind was against it. So he's up there, he's praying. He could see from a distance, which we read about in Mark, He could actually see their boat, could see them struggling. It says, verse 25, it says, During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. Verse 26, When the disciples saw Him walking on the lake, they were terrified. And they said, It's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. So here's the first observation. One is... The secret to Jesus' ministry and power, which I definitely want to glean from, and I think you do too, consistent prayer time. Or like we said, submitted solitude. Second observation, storms are coming. They came here, and honestly in our lives, it's not if the storms are coming, but it's when. Seriously, like when is the storm coming? Because a storm is coming. Not like Storm Sandy, you know, and other hurricanes, things like that, yes. But as a metaphor, like other storms will be coming into our lives. And so we can't be surprised when they get here. It shouldn't really be surprising. Because we know that they're coming. It doesn't make it mean that it makes it hurt any less. But we really shouldn't be taken by surprise when another storm comes. And catch this one too. This does not necessarily mean that we are not in the middle of where God wants us just because a storm shows up, we are struggling at the oars, the winds are just raging, the waves are there, the boat's getting tossed around, your emotions are all over the place, does not necessarily mean that we're not in the middle of exactly where God wants us. So what are we talking about? Because I think for some people, the Christian life idea is smooth sailing. That's where we got to be. Smooth sailing. Blessings. Smooth sailing. Sometimes yes, but sometimes no. Can't ignore the other side. Sometimes yes, but sometimes no. Because, if you read through the Bible, so downstairs right now, the kids are, Julie's walking through them, she's talking about Jonah. And um, I was the benefit of the uh, Jonah project. Uh, Let me tell you how. Uh, She's doing like, she has this big container she's doing like paper mache tissue paper on it that's like blue and that's like the whale and she's putting stuff inside of it and then they're gonna pull stuff out that's like in the whale's belly and so she has like uh, you know little figurines she bought some kind of like a plastic sea ray thing she's got like marbles all this different stuff and then the kids are gonna pull it out and they say oh you know it's in the whale's belly you know and there'll be funny stuff in there and then eventually she's going to pull out a guy, you know, and it's Jonah, and she'll talk about Jonah. And so it's pretty cool, pretty good, pretty creative idea. Julie's good for a lot of good creative ideas. Um, but the big container that everything is in, it's a big giant, it's an UTS barrel. Cheese ball UTS barrel. <laughs> Score! So I got like a ton of UTS cheese balls there. And I uh, snacking on those last night. Um, but Jonah, you know, God told them, hey, listen, I want you to go to this people. And honestly, they're enemies. So it would be like, maybe God coming here and being like, you know, uh, you know, go to, uh, go to Iran. You know, go to Iran right now. Tell them to repent. Whatever they're doing, they're going to respond. They will repent. Um, and I want you to go do that. And, uh, you know, that would be like God telling somebody from Israel go do that. You know, we're full well-knowing. You know, that Iran just wants them off the face of the earth. And so, you know, if God's telling somebody in Israel to go do that, they're like, no, they want to destroy us. They've already killed some of our own countrymen. I don't want to go there. No. No, thank you. Get somebody else. So that's basically what Jonah does. He says, no, I don't want to go. I'm not going. And so he gets on a boat and heads the other way, to opposite of where God told him. And uh, on that boat, sure enough, a storm comes. Right, the storm comes while he's on that boat. And that's due to his own fault. Because God is saying, Hey, listen, I want you to go there. You're going to go there. And as soon as they throw Jonah off the boat, the storm settles. You know, And then Jonah gets eaten by the whale. And then he's got to like repent inside the whale. You know, he spits him up and all that. But the storm came because of his own really stupidity. For his own ignorance. For his own blatant disobedience. And we could certainly bring storms in our life based on our own disobedience could very well happen. Absolutely. No question about it. But, the storms could also come because we're right in the middle of what God has for us. Because Jesus himself said he dismissed them and he told them to to go out onto the lake right there. So being blessed or having blessings is not ultimately found. Not ultimately found. In perfect health